0: Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27. Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and to build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with, a, with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, if you remember, we left off last week in the middle of looking at the six things that God will accomplish for Israel and Jerusalem by the end of the 490 years being prophesied in these verses. If You're just catching up with us here, and you weren't with us last week. Go to last week's study on our website, and hopefully you can catch up to where we are. We're in verse 24, where it says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people, this is the the Jews, and your holy city, which is Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, we looked at that one last week, to put an end to sin, we looked at that last week, and to atone for iniquity, which we looked at last week. We're going to finish these six and then break down the rest of the prophecy for tonight. So the next thing in, been mentioned in verse 24 is to bring in everlasting righteousness. Now, as much as believers today have been made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, and this righteousness that we've been given is everlasting since it's his righteousness and not ours, this isn't what Gabriel's talking about here. Now, people have tried to read the righteousness we've been given in the church into this passage. Remember, 77s are decreed for the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. The church is in this time period that we looked at last week briefly of when God puts Israel on hold. We're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. And during this time, the church in the church, what we call the church age, God's doing something to make Israel jealous and to reveal his glory to the angels and the demons. But there's still a one last seven left for the people of Israel. And by the time that last seven year period is accomplished, all of these things will have been accomplished. And at that time is when God will bring in everlasting Righteousness. But actually that word translated everlasting could also be translated age or to bring in an age of righteousness, a time or an era of righteousness. And again, the church is not in view here. Israel as a nation is. Now, I'm going to show you this word in this phrase talked about uh, being used here uh, to tie it to Old Testament ways that it was used to help you realize that the, the fact that the scripture shows that this is coming. Let me show you what I mean. Old Testament prophecies about this coming age of righteousness one day for the nation of Israel are all through the Old Testament. Let me just give you a couple. When I say a couple, I mean four. All right, so go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23, look at verses 1 through 6. And as we look at these, I want you to be watching closely at the fact that these prophecies about the coming age of righteousness for Israel really clearly show that it's going to happen on the earth. Look at Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. It says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, You have scattered my flock and have driven them away and have not attended to them, Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, we already know who that righteous branch is. That's going to come from David, right? It's Jesus. And he's going to come and rule on the earth in Jerusalem. And it's going to be an age of righteousness. Go to Isaiah chapter 11. Look at verses 1 through 9. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. By the way, the shoot from the stump of Jesse was David. And a branch from his roots, from David's roots, shall bear fruit. And the branch we just saw is Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see, or declare disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, And a calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion and the ox shall eat straw. So the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the nursing child shall play over the hold of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. By the way, has that happened yet? No. And if you remember when Jesus came the first time, he said, I didn't come this time to judge. Oh, I'm going to make judgments down the road when I come again. But this time, the reason he came the first time was to live the sinless life, to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead and give salvation to those who believe. But he's coming again. And when he comes again, he will set up the age or the era of righteousness centered. It'll accomplish over the globe centered, though, in Israel and Jerusalem. Go to Isaiah chapter one. Just look at one verse. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 26. By the way, I can tell you we're not in that prophesied period because I still ain't going anywhere near a cobra hole just yet. I went and preached for a couple weeks over in Thailand many years ago. And they have cobra shows that you can go. And there's nothing between you and the cobras. Wasn't for me. Wasn't for me. Isaiah chapter 1, look at verse 26. And I will restore your judges as at the first, and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. Jeremiah 33, 14 through 16. These verses show very clearly how there must be a literal coming kingdom on the earth centered in Jerusalem for this to be fulfilled. Let me just give you one more example of this. Go to Jeremiah 23. Jim, you said only four. This is a fifth one. I know. I never keep my word when it comes to how many scriptures I'm going to give you. Go to Jeremiah 23. Look at verses 7 and 8. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Look at that. They're not going to say like they've said for years, as the Lord lives, who brought them out of Egypt. They're going to say at that time, as the Lord lives, who brought the Jews back from everywhere they had been scattered on the earth, and they're going to live in their land. There's a coming age of righteousness that will be centered in Jerusalem, and Jesus himself is going to come on this earth and set up the kingdom on this earth. Now, the next thing we're going to look at, we've already seen how he's going to bring in an age of righteousness. He's also going to seal both vision and prophet. By the end of the 490 years prophesied for Israel in the city of Jerusalem, he's going to seal both vision and prophet. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on this one because it's pretty basic, but tied to all these things that we've been looking at, tied to them all being fulfilled, comes also the fact that once all this has happened, the long-promised kingdom will have come and there will no longer need to be any more prophecies or prophets. I'm going to be out of a job when it comes to preaching. It's going to be hard for me to understand, but it's going to happen. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, look at verse 34. Jeremiah 31, 34, and no longer... Shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I'll forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Keep this in mind. At the end of the tribulation period, the Jews that survive are going to be given righteousness. They're going to come to faith in Jesus. At that time, as you know from the prophecies, Jesus is going to come back to the earth and he's going to separate the sheep and the goats and determine who gets into the kingdom of the Gentile nations. And at that time, when the kingdom starts, everyone that's going to be on the earth will be righteous and believers. Now, during that time, the humans that survived the tribulation period of the nation of Israel and also of the Gentiles are going to be making more babies. Now, we're going to come back with Jesus, those of us who are going to be with him because he's raptured us, and we're going to come back and rule and reign with him. And the Old Testament saints are going to come back to life and get their new bodies, and they're going to rule and reign with Jesus. But at the same time, the humans that have survived the tribulation period of the Jews and the Gentiles are going to enter into the kingdom, and everyone will be righteous. But they're going to make babies. And by the end of the thousand years, the Bible says Satan's going to be released from the pit And he's going to tempt the people on the earth to all come against Jesus at Jerusalem. Well, what happened? Well, that's further evidence of the fact that just because they were given righteousness and righteous, these humans who survived and enter the kingdom and live on the earth and make babies, what's the problem they still have? They still got sin in their mortal bodies. And that sin's going to be passed on to the children and everything and so on. And there'll be a lot of people that are actually going to be tempted at the end of the the thousand years to fight against Jesus. But... Here we see that at this point, everyone will know the Lord, and you won't need a preacher or teacher to say, Know the Lord, because everybody will. Go to Acts chapter 3. Look at verses 17 through 21. Peter's preaching in Acts 3, and I want you to see what he says to them here. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 17, he says, I know, brothers, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Remember, we looked at that last week. Jesus doesn't come back until Israel repents and turns back. And when they repent and believe, Jesus comes back. Whom heaven must receive, this Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Again, the prophets have been talking about this coming kingdom, this coming time on the earth. That's why the Jews were thinking that maybe Jesus was the Messiah for a while, because maybe they wanted the kingdom now. They believed there was going to be a literal kingdom on the earth. And when Jesus came, they even for a bit thought, well, maybe this is the guy. But when he didn't act like they thought he was going to act, and he allowed himself to be killed on a cross, they gave up on him and, Said he wasn't the one. And for years, the Jews are still saying, for the most part, he's not the Messiah. There have been individual Jews that have come to faith in Christ, but at this point, the prophecies that have been talking about the coming kingdom will have been fulfilled, and the kingdom will start, and you won't need a prophet. Let me show you something kind of cool. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. All through the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, we see what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith, and men and women of faith who are listed. For their faith and at the end of the section, he says this in chapter 11, verse 39, he says in all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect or complete. In other words, We've been given the promises that are for Israel. We're going to get to be a part of the kingdom on the earth. And it's going to be an awesome time. But he's saying, look, even though all these people lived in faith, they never got the kingdom which was promised. But at that time, they will, so that they and we together will receive the promises of the coming kingdom. All the promises are going to be fulfilled. And at that point, you won't need a prophet anymore because the prophecies will have been fulfilled the kingdom will be here. You can seal up, he will have sealed up both vision and prophet. And lastly, number six, the sixth thing here in Daniel 9, 24, he says that it is also during this 490 years de- decreed for Israel and Jerusalem. They're going to he's going to anoint a most holy place. Now, some translations try to make this an anointing of a person in Jesus. But this expression is never used in Scripture of a person. And almost always is used to describe the whole or part of the temple or tabernacle. There's only one place in the the scriptures that this term is used. The most holy is used to describe not the temple, but it's connected to the temple. So what I want to do is just show you real quickly. Again, some of your translations might say a holy one. The English Standard Version, I think, does a real good job with this. And they say a holy place because I'm going to show you. Every other time this term is used, the Hebrew term or holy of holies or most holy place, it's talking about a place, not a person. The one time it's not used specifically about the temple or the tabernacle or a part of the temple or the tabernacle is in 1 Chronicles chapter 23. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 23 and verse 13. 1 Chronicles 23, look at verse 13. It says, the sons of Amram, and then it lists them, Aaron and Moses. Aaron was set apart to to dedicate the most holy things that he and his sons forever should make offerings before the Lord and minister to him and pronounce blessings in his name forever. So here we see that term, most holy things. That's that term again that we see in Daniel. All right. And so it is tied to a thing or things, not a person. Let me give you a couple of two other examples, and I think I'm going to keep it to two. So go to Exodus chapter 26. Go to Exodus chapter 26 and look at verses 33 through 34. Exodus, yeah, Exodus 26, verses 33 and 34. And. Here it says, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the Ark of the Testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate you for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the Ark of the Testimony in the most holy place. All right, so here it is again, describing the temple and the veil being set up between the holy place and the holy of holies. The term most holy place is the term that's here being used in Daniel 9 and is going to anoint a most holy place. One more time. I'll give you one more. Go to 1 Kings 7. 1 Kings chapter 7 verses 48 through 50. 1 Kings 7 verse 48 says so Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table for the bread of the presence the lampstand of pure gold five on the south side and five on the north before the inner sanctuary the flowers the lamps and tongs of gold the cups snuffers basins dishes for incense dishes for incense and firepans of pure gold and the sockets of gold for the doors of the innermost part of the house the most holy place and for the doors of the nave of the temple it's very clear in all the use of those terms that it's talking about a place and here in daniel 9 In verse 24, he says that they're going to, God will anoint a most holy place. In the Hebrew, it's that same phrase, that same same set of words. I could give you the Hebrew words, but it won't do anything but impress you with the fact that I can read. All right, so here's the deal. At the end of this time, Jesus is going to come and anoint a most holy place. Now, you know that the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem, and especially their temple, was the center of all things. And that's why they were taught to pray back when they were taken captive toward Jerusalem, toward the temple area. And at this point, when Daniel's given this vision, what's happened to the temple? It's been destroyed. It doesn't exist. Solomon's temple, as big and beautiful as it was, was, not, was just destroyed. But the Bible actually says that during the tribulation period, there's going to come this one who's going to come and step into the wing of the temple and declare himself to be God. So we know the prophecies tell that there's going to be another one one day. Of course, as we know, there was another one built between Solomon's and and the other. And that one actually, when they went back to rebuild it, and we're going to touch on that a little bit tonight, when they went back to rebuild it, it was so much smaller than Solomon's that some of the people that remembered the one that was before wept when they saw the difference. Yet after that, as you know, Herod came and it got bigger and he remodeled it and it was magnificent. But then, as you're going to see again tonight, just like the prophecy here in Daniel 9 says, because of the rejection of the Messiah, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed again and the temple would be destroyed as well. And ever since A.D. 70, there's not been a temple in Jerusalem. But somehow, some way, and we can all take our time guessing and trying to figure out how it's going to come about. All I can tell you is this. There's going to be a temple either during the tribulation period or by the end of the tribulation period for the Antichrist to step into it and to put an end to sacrifices. But it won't be one that will be anointed. That's for sure. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to anoint the most holy place and make it sacred again. By the way. I don't know if you caught this or not, but the prophecy said that Jesus is going to come back and anoint a most holy place. The temple. You do understand that's referring to the temple, right? I need to make sure you're tracking with me here before I show you what I'm about to show you. That's another further evidence that there has to be a literal kingdom on the earth. You know why? Because the Bible says that during the eternal state, the new Jerusalem, where we're going to spend eternity with God forever and ever, there is no temple. Go to Revelation 22 real quick. I'm sorry, 21, verse 22. Revelation 21, verse, verse 22. And he says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So when we get to the, what we call the eternal state after the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, and we go to the new heaven and the new earth, and everything goes on from there, and there's no more sin, no more tears, no more of that any of that stuff. It's all gonna be done. There's no temple in that area. So this temple that's gonna be anointed at the end of the 490 years has to be on the earth. By the way, I don't know if you notice or not. I hope you do. I'm gonna get right to you, John. The Bible's very, very clear that there's going to be a temple during the millennial kingdom. And go ahead, John, real quick, and then I'll lay that out. In Ezekiel That's where we're going. When, when the Spirit left, mm-hmm. it went out of a particular gate. Yep. That gate has been sealed by man. Yep. And it is prophesied that Christ will come back through that gate. Yep. And he's going to. He's going to. And not only that, not only was it sealed by man, the Muslims have actually uh, built a cemetery outside of that because in their mind, there's no way that Jesus will go across a cemetery to go through the gate. I understood. Hypothesis could it be in that area. Oh, I think it's going to be in that area for sure, without question. Go to, go to Ezekiel 43. Go to Ezekiel 43. There's a lot in the Old Testament about the coming millennial temple, especially in Ezekiel. But I'm just going to show you just two verses. In Ezekiel 43, look at verses 11 and 12. I'll start in verse, actually, I'll start in verse 10. Ezekiel 43, verse 10 As for you, Son of Man, describe to the house of Israel the temple, that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and they shall measure the plan. And if they are ashamed of all that they have done, make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangement, its exits, its entrances, that is, its whole design, and make known to them as well all its statutes and its whole design and all its laws, and write it down in their sight, so that they may observe all its laws and all its statutes and carry them out. This is the law of the temple. The whole territory on the top of the mountain, all around, shall be most holy," there it is again, Behold, this is the law of the temple. And then all through Ezekiel, we see the specifics of the temple and how it's to be built and where and all this. We see in the book of Revelation, John sees the temple and it doesn't look like what he remembers the temple looking like. And he's told that's okay; It's still God's temple and he's going to be doing something there. We also know from Ezekiel that during the beginning of the millennial kingdom, that there's going to be a little trickle of water flow out from underneath the throne in the temple and it's going to get deeper. And deeper and make it all the, way, all the way to the Dead Sea and it's going to turn the Dead Sea fresh. And by the time it gets to the Dead Sea, it's going to be so deep you can swim in it. It's just, folks, there is a kingdom coming on the earth and there's going to be a temple. And when Jesus comes, he's going to anoint the temple. Whether it's the one that the Antichrist stepped in that's been rebuilt, we don't know. If it's a totally different one, I don't know. But there's going to be a temple on the earth because the prophecy said Jesus is going to come back and anoint a most holy place. Go ahead. I couldn't tell you if there's water coming now or not. And even if there is, it doesn't mean that's what the water that's going to be. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, again, I always warn people about reading the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in another and trying to make it all work because God usually proves us that we don't know what we're talking about. You know? Yeah, let me just say this to you, and this is to everybody here, but not just you, Rick, but I, I, years ago I read this one guy talking about how we think we're so smart and how we, we think we, we can figure God out. And he said there were these ants living outside of this one guy's house, and this one ant had been studying how the owner of the house every morning came out at a certain time and at a certain time came back in. And the next day at the exact time he'd come out of his house and go to work and the next day come back and that night come back in. And pretty soon he had the owner of that house figured out and he uh he went and told all the other ants, you watch this. Tomorrow at 6 o'clock, when that sun hits a certain point, this door's going to open and this guy's going to walk out of the house. And then he's going to, well, that guy happened to be sick that day and he didn't go to work. And, it ruined, and he said it ruined the ant's theology. You know? Like I said, prayed tonight as we began. There are things we know. There are things we don't. Avoid the danger trying to figure out how it's all going to play out. Is it going to be a temple that the Antichrist steps in that Jesus anoints and makes holy? Possibly. Could it be a different temple? Possibly. But we do know that there has to be a temple at some point by the midpoint of the tribulation for Jesus, sorry, for the Antichrist to step into it. And there's going to be a temple in the millennial kingdom. Go ahead, Warren. What we don't know God does, and I think he's not too worried about how it's all going to play out. He's got to figure it out. So go back to Daniel 9 now. Let's start doing some math. Some of you said, I was told there'd be no math. All right, Daniel 9, 25 through 27. Gabriel says to Daniel, Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, we're going to take the last half hour we got here tonight and break this down as fast as we can. So here we go. Gabriel then tells Daniel that when the 490 years for Israel, he tells them when they're going to begin. He said the 490 years that have been decreed for Israel and Jerusalem will begin. You can start doing your countdown in the math from the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's important. Now, notice the decree is to rebuild the city, not its temple. Now it's important for us since there were actually more than one decree to go and rebuild things in, in the Old Testament. Go to Ezra chapter one. I'm going to actually give you a quiz tonight. I don't usually do that, but I'm going to pop quiz you instead of telling you the answer. I'm going to read it and ask you a question. Ezra chapter one. Look at verses one through four. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel." He is the God who is in Jerusalem and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So this is the decree of Cyrus to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Is this the decree that Gabriel is talking about? That's the quiz question. And it's 50-50 answer. Yes or no? You guys are chickens. Those of you, how many of you say yes? Sorry, you're wrong. The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. Here's why. This is a decree of Cyrus to go back and rebuild Jerusalem or the temple? The temple. This is the re- rebuilding of the temple, not Jerusalem. Go to Ezra chapter 6. We'll try again. Go to Ezra 6. Look at verses 1 through 12. Then Darius, the king, made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia, and the house of the archives where the documents were stored, and in Ecbatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found in which this was written, a record in the first year of Cyrus the king. Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury and also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and be brought back to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to his place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, sheth Bosanai and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you should do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river and whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests of Jerusalem require. Let that be given to them day by day without fail that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a burnt... A beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put a hand to alter this, or to destroy this house of God that's in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. So here we see that Darius makes a decree. Is this the decree that Gabriel's talking about? Good answer. Because, again, he's just reaffirming... He found out about the decree of Cyrus and he says, hey, I want to make sure this is done. And he reaffirmed the decree of Cyrus, not the decree that Gabriel talks about, because Gabriel said from the issuing of the decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Go to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, look at verses 11 through 24. Ezra 7 verse 11, this is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law and the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem." With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it, which it fails, falls to you, to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil and salt, without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done. "...in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toil on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God." So here we see another decree. We saw one by Cyrus. We saw one by Darius. Now we see another decree by Artaxerxes. Is this the decree of Gabriel? No, it's not the one Gabriel's referring to, because, again, it's still tied to the temple. He's saying that the work of Ezra can continue. All of those referred mainly to the temple, but in Nehemiah, chapter 2. Go to Nehemiah. You're in Ezra. Turn over to the next book. Nehemiah, chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 8. I'll help you out. Here's the decree. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, Nehemiah says, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king and your servant, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, when I had given him a time, And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted to me what I asked for. The good hand of my God was upon me. This is the decree That Gabriel is talking about from the beginning of the decree to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's very important. Now, this decree was in the spring of 444 B.C. Gabriel said from the beginning or the time of the decree until the time of Messiah. Back in Daniel, your translations and mine says anointed one. And by the way, in the Hebrew there, it's not a most holy place. It's an anointed one. It's a person. Actually. In the Hebrew, the word is Messiah. From the time, from the beginning of the decree to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Until Messiah, the prince comes, he said there's going to be a total of 483 years. There's going to be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Seven times seven is 49. 62 times seven is 434. Very good. 49 and 434 together come to 483 years. And so Daniel was told back then, from the time you hear the decree to go back and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes, it'll be 483 years. Now, we already looked last week at the fact that in the Jewish understanding of how they calculated time and years, their years were 360 years. And folks, when you do, I'm sorry, 60 days, 360 days, thank you for clarifying. 360 days, Will you find out that 44 B.C., 483 years later, using 360 days in a year, anybody want to take a wild guess on what year that ends up being? 33 A.D. Anybody want to take a wild guess what happened in 33 A.D.? That was the year Jesus was crucified. And folks, I wasn't going to take the time to do this. It's on the websites and, 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 and prophecy places if you want to go do it. If you actually do the math from the actual day, they know even what day this prophecy and this decree from uh, Nehemiah came. From that day until the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he literally fulfilled the exact number of the days when he rode into Jerusalem. 483 years later... Would be 33 A.D. Now, go with me to Luke 19, though. Because we see in the prophecy, as you're turning to Luke 19, the prophecy said that Jerusalem would be rebuilt with, with, with a trench and a moat, but in troubled time. By the way, if you've ever done any study of Nehemiah, did he have it easy going and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? Man, he had trouble. They, they were actually, the Bible says, so at some point, working with hand, uh, tools in one hand and a sword in the other as they're trying to get the walls built. And it actually took them, the outside of the walls just took them like so many days, but the actual rebuilding of the city took 49 years. And then from that point on was another 62 seven-year periods to the time that Messiah would come. By the way, I actually believe that that's part of why Simeon, was believing that God had told him that he wouldn't die until he had seen the promised one. Because I believe Simeon was one of those ones that studied the Old Testament and had insight and understanding. And he probably had done the math and figured, Lord, if this is what I'm understanding, this is going to happen in my lifetime. And he had been told, you won't die until you see the promised one. You remember when Jesus was dedicated in the temple and he saw him and he said, all right, I can go in peace. I've seen But he was looking and thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. And I believe a lot of it had to do with because he believed the prophecy of Daniel. But look at Luke 19 and what Jesus does and says in verses 41 through 44. On that day that the 483 years were literally fulfilled. And Luke 19, verse 41. And when he drew near the city and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day The things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you and your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. By the way, do you remember when Jesus was in Jerusalem with his disciples just prior to this? And the disciples were all telling him, hey, look at the temple. Look at all this stuff. Look how wonderful it is. And Jesus says, there won't be one stone left on top of another. By the way, that prophecy, not only of what Jesus said here, but when Jesus said it in Matthew 24, was fulfilled. Because if you know what happened, the Romans in AD 70 surrounded them, hemmed them in, destroyed them, burnt the city to the ground. And in doing so, all the gold that was on the walls of the temple melted and got down in the cracks of all the stones. And the Romans, wanting to get all that gold, tore the whole place apart. There was not one stone left on top of another so they could get all the gold that had melted in the fire. Now look closely what Jesus says here in Luke 19. He says that Jesus says that because they rejected him, the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed again. Remember, they had been destroyed in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, when they were all taken captive. And he allows them to go back and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple and all that. And they had had it rebuilt during all that time until Jesus comes. But Jesus says, because you have rejected me, they're going to surround you. And it's going to be hidden from your eyes for a time. And the city is going to be destroyed. Go back to Daniel 9. Look at verse 26. Look at what Gabriel says. It says, and after the 62 weeks, remember there's 49 years and then another 434 years. After that second part of the 483 years, an anointed one shall be cut off. And by the way, if you do a little study of the word cut off in the Hebrew, it literally is tied to capital punishment, and it means killed by capital punishment. And shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is still to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now hang on for a second. The anointed one is going to come after 483 years, after the decree of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. The anointed one is going to come, and he's going to be capitally punished. And he'll have nothing. The Bible says Jesus came to those who were his own, and his own didn't receive him. And then Jerusalem will be destroyed again and have nothing. Oh, and then he says, and then after that, there's going to be wars and trouble. By the way, is that a pretty good description of what's been going on with the nation of Israel ever since all this? I mean, we think about the Holocaust and all the things that have been going on. They're not living in peace where they are now. They're back in the land so the prophecies of the last days can be fulfilled with the Antichrist to chase them out and all that kind of stuff. Things are in place for the final prophecies to be fulfilled, but Israel's not back in the land as the prophecies said they would be in the final days. No, they're going to be scattered again. But at the end of that time period, He'll gather them um, all the nations and bring them back. And every, I think we read tonight, there won't be one that's not there. They'll all be there. But Jesus said, Just like Gabriel had said, because of the rejection of the Messiah, the city would be destroyed again. Now, if you look closely, reading the prophecy carefully, one can see that there's a break hinted at between the 69 sevens and the last seven. Look again at it. And after, verse 26, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is still to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there's going to be war. Desolations are decreed. And he, this is the prince who's still to come, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for one half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now, a lot of people have tried to make this one, this prince who is to come, still be Jesus. Because earlier in the prophecy, he's the prince who anointed one, a prince is going to come. And they try to make the prince and the rest of the prophecy be Jesus. But here's the problem with that. One, Jesus himself said, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by the Daniel, Daniel the prophet in Jerusalem, run for your life. So he's referring to it being someone else on top of that. We also know that the prophecy said that this one's going to come and make a covenant and he's going to break the covenant. That doesn't sound like Jesus. He's not going to make a promise and not keep it. This is a different prince. And it says the people of the prince who is to come will be the ones who destroy the city. By the way, who destroyed the city? The Romans. So we see that because of the rejection of the Messiah... The anointed one would be capitally punished and p- cut off. And then, after that, the city would be destroyed. And there'd be a long time period of wars and desolations decreed for Israel. And then, there's gonna come this prince. Oh, by the way, he's of the people who are gonna destroy the city. He's gonna come and he's gonna make a covenant with the many for one seven year period. That last seven of the prophecy, but there's been a break in the prophecy. And for that last seven, he's gonna make a covenant. And halfway through, he's going to break it, and he's going to declare himself to be God by stepping into the temple, just like the prophecy and Jesus himself said. So you can see here, there's an obvious break in the 490 years between chapter 26 and chapter 20. I mean, sorry, verse 26 and verse 27. And we're in that time period now. Have you ever been on the phone with somebody and hit the hold button? That's what God's done with Israel. He's not done. He'll get back. They've just been listening to elevator music for a while, but he's not done. We're in this time period that is about to come to an end, and the stage has been set. Folks, I've got to be honest with you. I've been studying prophecy for years, and nations that used to be allies of Israel and prophecy people would look at it and go, well, the Bible said in the last days when Jesus comes back and all this stuff happens, they're going to be enemies of Israel, but Turkey's an ally of Israel, but you know, about 10 so years ago, maybe a little more, They flopped and flipped. And all the nations that the Bible said would be their enemies now are. And Everything's coming together. Folks, let me just tell you, the time for the church age is coming to a close. And then he's going to, just like he said, he's going to finish what he started with Israel. By the way, the rapture of the church, which I believe the Bible says very clearly will be taken before all this stuff, this doesn't start the last seven-year period. Does anybody know what starts the last seven-year period? The confirming of the covenant. That's what starts it. People thought the rapture started. No. There could be a day between the rapture and the starting, or there could be 40 years. We don't know. We're not going to be here. And at some point, the decree or the covenant will be confirmed. Now, the people of the prince who is to come and make a covenant with many and break the covenant halfway through, are the ones who will come and destroy the city. And again, like we said, who destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 8070? It was the Romans. By the way, Daniel's visions and Nebuchadnezzar's visions showed that the last kingdom on the earth, being tied to, showed the last kingdom on the earth before Jesus comes back, was tied to the Roman Empire. Let me take you back real quick to Daniel 2, and we're going to make it. Daniel chapter 2, look at verses 36 through 45. Daniel 2, 36 through 45. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and in whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold, Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar. Now another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw, the iron mixed with the soft clay, they will also mix with one another in marriage, but they'll not hold together, just as an iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever." Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And if you remember from our study of this, the head was Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. The chest was Medo-Persia. The thighs of bronze were Greece. The legs of iron were Rome. But then the the feet and the toes were tied to the Roman Empire, but it's obvious that there's something weird going on there where it's a mixture now of the iron with clay. And as you know from our study, the Bible says that there is going to be one more kingdom on the earth, and it's going to be tied to the Roman Empire, and there's going to be made up of 10 kings, and that's going to be the leadership of this kingdom. But then there's going to be another king that's going to come up, an 11th one, and he's going to remove three. And pretty soon they're all going to give their authority to him, as we know him as the Antichrist, but the people, of, the, people of, sorry, the people of the prince who is to come are going to be the ones who destroyed the city, and that was the Romans. So all we know now is the Antichrist is going to be coming somehow, some way from the Roman Empire. Does that mean he's going to be a Roman? No. No, it doesn't have to be a Roman. He's just going to have to come from the Roman Empire in the area that the Roman Empire governed, which was a pretty good size area, but he's going to be coming from that empire. Now, everything in us wants to try to figure out Who's the Antichrist? Let me say it to you one more time. The Bible says he won't be revealed until after the church is gone. You don't want to know who the Antichrist is. Because if you do, you're here. And you don't want to be here during that time. If God wanted us to know, he'd tell us. Go to Daniel 7. Go to Daniel 7. Actually, if you know the prophecy, the Bible says over and over, the church be looking for Jesus. We're not taught to watch for the Antichrist. We're taught to watch for Jesus. Go to Daniel 7, verses 23 through 28. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He shall put down three kings." He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into His hand for a time, times and half a time." That's three and a half years, midpoint on. But the court shall sit in judgment, and His dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. All right, the Bible showed us all along that that fourth kingdom was going to be Rome, and this prince who is to come is going to be tied to a rebuilding of the Roman Empire. Now, we just saw, though, in verse 26, but the court's going to sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Go back to Daniel 9 and look at verse 27, the end of it again. At the midpoint, three and a half years, Middle of the week of the seven-year period, he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, listen, I don't want you to miss this, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. The Bible says that as much as he's going to be doing some dastardly, dastardly stuff, there's a judgment coming for him. I'm going to give you three last passages of Scripture that I want to encourage you with. And warn you at the same time with. Go to Isaiah 10. Isaiah 10 verses 20 through 23. You've hung on pretty well tonight. Finish strong. Isaiah 10 20 through 23. In that day. The remnant of Israel. And the survivors of the house of Jacob. Will no more lean on him who struck them. But will lean on the Lord. The Holy One of Israel. Remember he's going to make a covenant with the many. But then he's going to. Proved to not be the guy they thought he was. They're not going to lean on the one who struck them, but they're going to lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end, as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Here again, the prophecy says that at the end of the tribulation period, there's going to be a remnant of the nation of Israel. Even though they're as numerous as the sand in the sea, only a, a, a remnant is going to survive. But they're going to be given righteousness and they're no longer going to lean on the one who's been striking them. And they're also, the destruction is, and the judgment's going to be happening to him. He's going to make a full end. Go to Revelation 19. Go to Revelation 19. Look at verses 11 through 21. Remember, as we look at this one Jesus coming on the white horse, John had already seen earlier in his vision the Antichrist come on a white horse, trying to pretend to be Jesus. But in Revelation 19, 11-21, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on that no one, written, no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's us. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron. He'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty." On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast, that's the Antichrist, was captured, and with it the false prophet, false prophet who, in his presence, had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Now the rest weren't slain by the sword; that were slain by the sword and came from the mouth of the him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. So, the, as God, Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, he defeats all his enemies. But he specifically takes the Antichrist and the false prophet and takes them directly. He didn't even kill them, he takes them directly and throws them into the lake of fire. Go to Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are ended, end of the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, their numbers like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. All I can say is hang on. Be faithful. Jesus is coming soon. And he's going to deal with all the wickedness. Stop getting belly aches over all the wickedness that's going on. The Bible says it's going to happen. We are to be faithful and to keep our eyes on Jesus, looking for his return. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you in two weeks.